got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Happy Friday to you. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And also, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yep. This is going to be our last show until Tuesday. Nick will still be gone for Christmas, but I will be here with you Tuesday to get you ready for the uh, guaranteed rate bowl. But yeah, I mean, that means uh, this is our final show for three days. We got wow. KU Yale. That's a long time. I know, coming out tonight, which means we don't even have a full show tonight. Jeez. Out of 5.30 for uh, Crimson and Blue Show coverage with tip-off at 7 o'clock. And then, uh, yeah, we're, we're out for the weekend from there. Uh, KU has officially landed. The KU football plane has landed in Phoenix, Arizona. The eagle has landed. The eagle, the hawk has landed. The Jayhawk the hawk. has landed. Yes. Uh, so, I, I think Lance Leipold is supposed to speak with the media at some point after he lands. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe in our next segment, d- depending on what comes out of it. There was a new depth chart released today, and there's been rumors floating around about players opting out, not playing, so maybe we'll get some clarification from Lance on that coming up uh, momentarily. This is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. First, though, we're going to preview the Kansas-Yale game and our preview brought to you by CBB Analytics. CBB Analytics does all the little things right. They have these color-coded ranks and percentiles. It's super easy to, to understand what you're looking at. Even if you don't totally understand the number, it's easy to be like, oh, uh, bright red, bad, <laughs> uh, bright blue, good. You know, They have they have a ton of different Listen, splits. My infantile brain right. requires that. Yeah, you don't need the numbers. You just need yeah. colors. No, that's, that's great. Uh, they've lost five, last ten games, home and away, and more. It is the most detailed look you're going to get at a college basketball team, more than 30 Division One coaching staffs are using CBB Analytics for opponent scouting. So uh, check them out with CBB Analytics. All right, Derek, you have said I know this is the most dangerous the game, game on the me. schedule. This is very scary for you. Yeah, this is this Yale, this Yale team, man. Whew, you do not want to catch them. Well, I mean, I I don't know another team that comes in two weeks ago beating Colby Sawyer 95 to 36. <laughs> do you? I don't even know what that is. That like Tom Sawyer? What is that? Is that like Tom Sawyer's brother? It's his older brother, the more responsible <laughs> one. Had a college what? named after him. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I I uh I as you have kind of joked about, like I have been high on Yale, and I mean they were the preseason pick to win the Ivy League. We've seen the Ivy League, yeah, produce. Princeton goes to the yeah the what, Elite Eight last year. Yeah, Sweet um, Princeton tied with Yale for the the regular season title a yep. season ago. And listen, there's been some other Ivy League teams. Yeah, that Cornell made Sweet off. Sixteen about a decade ago. There was the Yale team that beat Baylor in in the first yeah. round. Yeah, which uh, got the infamous like quote after the game when they asked like I think it was Torian Prince like how did they get more rebounds oh. than you? Well, you see, they went up. <laughs> After somebody missed a shot, right, and they they grabbed the ball, yeah, more so, than us. I mean, it's it's I I think they're they're a tough team. Now, at one point they were around like 80th in Ken Palm. They've since dropped a little bit. They're now like 108th. Um, this is a game Kansas should win. A game that Kansas should win by a lot. But yeah. it's the combination of okay, Ivy League teams 
can sometimes play up and, and because they have a unique style of play combined with they usually have a lot of good shooters and, and that's the case here with, with Yale having like three guys who shoot above 40% in the starting lineup and you combine that with this being the last game before Christmas break, it makes it a little bit scary here. But uh, I, I'm, I'm working ahead of things. First things first, how important is this game? Well, I think when you look at the grand scheme of college basketball over the past couple of days, there's been some some teams that have gotten upset, uh, especially in the upper tier of college basketball recently. And you look at what KU has done at home against some what you would consider to be inferior opponents over the past couple of weeks, they've struggled. Now, you go back and you could say, well, they were look-ahead games. You know, Eastern Illinois, you were looking ahead to Missouri. UMKC, you were looking, or Eastern Illinois, you were looking ahead to Connecticut. UMKC, you were looking ahead to Missouri. You know, you know, look-ahead games, whatever, trap games. Uh, there's no there's no such trap game really here unless you're really looking ahead to Wichita State in, you know, next next weekend in Kansas City, you know. Oh, By oh, the oh. way, that's weird. I've never seen a team play back-to-back games at the T-Mobile Center because they lost to K-State at the T-Mobile Center last night. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Then they um, they don't have a game then until KU no. again. T-Mobile oh. break. T-Mobile. Wow. That kind of sucks for them because they got to drive back. I know. And drive back. They're not again. just staying in Kansas City for yeah. Now. That's brutal. Uh, yeah. So I think, and Bill Seth even mentioned this, which we'll get to the audio, is the fact that seeing some uh, some top teams lose maybe has KU's ears perked up a little bit more for a game like this than maybe they otherwise would be. I don't know if I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's really the right way to say that, but you catch the drift. So this game. Certainly important for Kansas, uh, and I think this game specifically, and I guess we can just jump right into this because I'm sure you want to talk about it. Yeah, this game specifically, it's it's more important for some certain individuals on the team than I think it is for the team collectively. Most notably, those individuals would be one Nicholas Timberlake and one Jamari McDowell. Yep, no Johnny Furphy. He is in Australia on a previous commitment that Bill Self said they knew about long ahead of time. I think it had to do with the fact that he reclassified. There was some something mm-hmm. he had, right? Uh, so that leaves uh, an, o- an opening, basically, because Johnny Furphy, while he maybe has not been the best bench player, he's definitely consistently the one that's had the highest ceiling, right, in terms of what he's bringing off the bench. And now you're going to have a chance to give that those minutes to a couple other guys here. I honestly believe this is a do-or-die game for Nick Timberlake. Ooh. He has to do something. He has like to that. be has to have something positive happen in this game. I'm not saying he needs to go out and burn the house down and hit five threes or whatever, but he has to be able to stay on the court Show for consistent minutes, like consecutive minutes. He needs to stay on the court for consecutive minutes and have things basically go well for him at, at, at both ends of the floor. You know, even if that means just hitting two threes or, you know, maybe two of three from three or something like that. This is a, I honestly think this is a do or die game for him. This is it. This is it. This is, this is it. This is your one chance, really, I think that you have left to really get some wind in your sails, to prove that you're a guy that belongs on this team, to prove that you're a guy that belongs on this court with the, with this with a top five team in the country, and that you can be a contributor, I honestly think this is it. This is it. This is this is your chance. Mm-hmm. Do or die around Christmas. And, and again, old Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas <laughs> coming down the chimney, wow. hitting some threes. But yeah, I, I honestly presents. I do think that. I, I mean, and, and again, I'm not saying. Oh, Nick Timberlake has to go out and score 15 points. Oh, he has to go out and play you know, a bunch of minutes and be really, really good. Just something, just positive, just positive. It's just, you know, even if it's only 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, hit a couple threes, play some decent defense, prove that you are a guy who is poised to be somebody that can contribute to this team going forward. Yeah, because the leash is longer in this game with those extra minutes that you could have. Uh, yeah. The opportunity is more there in this type of game. So, yes, it is very important for, I think, those individuals certainly the most. 
Uh, as far as the Yale scouting report, they're a team that plays at a slower tempo, 290th in the country in adjusted tempo, 328th in just average possession length on offense. Better offense than defense. They're 91st in offense, 145th on defense. Um, they do not turn the ball over like at all. They, they're very proficient holding on to the ball. They shoot well from three, and uh, they don't take a ton of volume from the outside, but they do shoot very well from out there and have a bunch of guys that can hit them. Shoot really well at the free throw line, too. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, They've been a really good defensive rebounding team. They don't really foul much, and they've been above average at, at two-point defensive, kind of average at, in terms of blocking shots. The things that they haven't done well, not a good offensive rebounding team, but that's more about they're one of those teams that doesn't get offensive rebounds not because they're not really good at it. It's because they send guys back in, in transition. They're only giving up about seven transition points per game. Like KU's averaging 12.5 per game. So they send numbers back. Uh, they don't force turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they don't really get to the free throw line much on offense. They don't shoot twos great on offense. And uh, they also have kind of struggled so far early this year in three-point defense. Now, how much of that is something they're doing wrong? How much of it is they've just had maybe a couple games that – I don't know, maybe they just got unlucky with who they were playing that given night. I don't I don't entirely know that, but when you look at the personnel, it's actually very interesting because this isn't one of those like completely undersized teams that you're playing. Uh the point guard Ben uh, Bez Mabang is is 6 foot 4, August Mahoney the the starting two guard 6 4. Uh, they'll play a lot of guys in the wing. John Pulakitis, Nick Townsend, Matt Nolan, Casey Simmons, Jack Malloy. All of them are between 6'6 six, six and 6'8. Six, and then their center, Danny Wolf, is 7 feet 250. I kind of describe him as the Ivy League Hunter Dickinson because he's averaging 13 points, nine rebounds. He's averaging two assists. So, like Hunter Dickinson, good passer. He's shooting 48% from three. So, like Dickinson, a big man who can, you know, stretch out. Obviously, not as good as Hunter Dickinson, but still, he's, he's a very good player. They'll play some small ball five but they also have a backup 6-10 center so they do have some size here and I think this is actually a very interesting matchup for KU yeah to your point the size really is is probably the second thing that I'll be curious about you know for me I will most definitely be most focused having the spotlight on the bench and what happens with no Johnny Furphy but the second thing that I'll be keeping an eye on is that bench to your point because you're right. This is not an Eastern Illinois. This is not a UMKC where Hunter Dickinson's got four or five inches on the guy guarding him. You just throw it to him. He can go score. Right. This is a this is a Yale team that, from a physical from a physicality standpoint, is going to be able to match up with you. Right. And with that being the case, I'll be curious to see how they defend Hunter Dickinson. Right. We've mm -hmm. we've now seen teams and Bill Self actually talked about this much earlier. Actually, I think he mentioned it in the preseason even uh, during the Illinois game or after the Illinois game, the exhibition against Illinois, of basically saying. He didn't specifically say this, but he kind of basically went out, kind of, in so many words, said, it's good when other teams use different strategies to defend us because that gives us an opportunity to have more tape on how we can, you know, morph our offense or how we can morph what we want to do to attack, right? And so KU's now seen teams try a lot of different ways to, 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 to play against Hunter Dickinson, right? UMKC was pretty much one-on-one -on -one with him the whole game, right? They didn't really yeah. help. They didn't really help at all. In that game, then you look at Missouri, who was basically like, "All right, we're just going to double team him. We're going to play five on four, or we're going to play four on five, and let KJ Adams dribble around the perimeter and do whatever the hell he Indiana wants." Indiana did a bit of that too. Indiana right? did some of that. So, I'll be curious what what Yale strategy is, right? Uh, you know, they're Yale. You'd assume they're pretty smart, so they probably have a, some sort of game plan going into it. Uh, one other thing I did want to mention, though, with KU coming into this game, is that kind of what I alluded to with early in this week, some some top programs that have, that lost some games against maybe some inferior opponents. It really just made me kind of sit back and have some perspective on the brilliance of Bill Self because 
in college basketball, you're going to have games where you don't do you don't play well, yeah. right? Where it's just not there. The energy's not there. You're going to have bad games, right? Even the best teams in college basketball are going to have bad games. And when you see other teams like UConn, like Baylor, like uh, you know even Creighton losing against teams that would be considered inferior to them when they have a bad night, and then you look at Kansas and you look at what Bill Self does, and time and time again, Kansas, you know maybe that maybe it's instead of losing instead of it's fifty fifty when you play bad you lose those games. With Bill Self, it feels like it's like eighty five fifteen. Right. With with games where you're sitting there watching, and you're like, dude, KU is playing terribly. Like they can't. They're they're struggling. They're not there. The energy's not there. And then you look up at the end of the game, and KU wins, right? It's it's incredible. And I think it, I think it really, really emphasized the brilliance of Bill Self to me in those moments because you don't see that happening with Danny Hurley. You don't see that happening with Scott Drew, okay? When those boys play a bad game, guess what? They lose. <laughs> and with Kansas, yes, they lose, when, they lose games when they play bad. I mean, there's plenty of examples of that, right? They've lost – Multiple games over the last couple seasons by double digits at Allen Fieldhouse when they played really bad. You know, TCU, Texas, in recent memory. But I'm saying when you play bad against an opponent that on paper is inferior to you, other teams will tend to lose those games. Not with Kansas. It just yeah. doesn't feel like it happens with Kansas. No, we, I mean, we saw it last year in, in this game. It was against another Ivy League school, your last game before break, and you played Harvard. And you might go back and look at that game and be like, what's the big deal? They won 68 to 54. That game was uh, 45 to 40 at the 10 minute mark. It was a five point game. You kind of had a big run to, to kind of pull away late. Um, by the way, one, one thing that I find interesting here in, in regards to KU playing uh, kind of down to the opposition, so to speak, they've, they're 0 and 3 against the spread, their last three, and they're 2 and 6 against the spread, their last eight. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty crazy here. I don't know. Maybe that means they're due tonight. We'll see. Uh, but what is it about Yale, though, specifically? Is there one thing about Yale that, that maybe scares you the most tonight that, that maybe you think could make it kind of like the Harvard game last year? Yeah, I think you kind of touched on it. You know, this KU team and a lot of KU teams, transition is normally something that, even if it's not necessarily a strength, generally, especially at home, it is something that is a can be a catalyst for Kansas to build a run, right? Yeah. Even if it's not necessarily like they're the thing that they're really, really good at, it can be that thing where you know you get a couple buckets quickly in transition, and all of a sudden, boom, the crowd's right there, right? You're fired up, and then four turns into eight, turns into twelve oh, and next thing you know, you know you're down by that much, right? So I, I think with the fact that Yale, like you alluded to, it tends to get back quite a bit is interesting. Uh, they're gonna, for, you know, presumably that means that they're gonna want to try to force Kansas to score in the half court. And listen, there's been games where that's been a bit of a struggle for Kansas, right, uh, in the half court. So. That is a little bit interesting, and I think if I were Yale, based off of what you said, I would probably lean into that. I would say, okay, yeah, let's let's really eliminate that because that'll help neutralize the crowd. It'll help neutralize those big momentum swings, which is what I think the transition game for Kansas is really the biggest thing for them. And if you force them to play in the half court, maybe that does slow things down a little bit. And listen, there's been games where Dwan Harris has been kind of sloppy. There's been games where KU's offense has not been very sharp. And if you have that happen and you're continuing to force them to play the game, 25 seconds at a time, 30 seconds at a time in the half court, that could really maybe fluster Kansas a little bit. So what scares me a little bit, uh, I've talked about this before, Kansas has done a, a, a better job limiting teams from taking corner threes versus taking above-the-break threes, and most teams are better from the corner shooting threes than they are the non-corner threes. That's not the case for Yale. Uh, Yale so far this season has taken 163 threes from non-corner threes, only 33 in the corner, and they're shooting 34.5% from three on the above-the-break threes. 
Kansas, meanwhile, uh, they they are in the fourth percentile in terms of the least amount per the shots they give up of shots coming from above the break threes, meaning that teams are um, shooting a billion above the break threes against them. Actually, it's in the second percentile now. It changed from yesterday. So that means that there's only 1% of college basketball where teams are getting the percentage of their shots from above the break threes. So point blank, teams put up a lot of above the break threes on Kansas. Yale shoots them at a very high clip. Mm. That scares me a little bit that that can keep this game close, but... You know, Yale doesn't take like a ton of threes, so maybe KU is is able to to kind of overcome that well. But uh, that is certainly something I'm keeping an eye on because you know maybe this would be a game where where there is a deficit in threes. Maybe you know Kansas has one of those games where they go four of twelve, and Yale has one of those games where they go you know nine of twenty two, and you're trying to make it up for uh, some of those three point shooting. Where do you think KU has the biggest edge tonight? Yeah, you know it's interesting that KU's offensive rebounding rate this season has been not great, right? But you're playing against a team that's been not great at stopping offensive rebounds either. So I'm curious to see maybe Kansas can get some second-chance opportunities a little bit more uh, in this game. And then turnovers. Like you said, if you're playing a team that is that does not force a lot of turnovers and you're Kansas, then you can get them into turnovers. That certainly would be a huge bonus for, for them. So I look for turnovers possibly to be a big factor. And if Kansas can force some turnovers, I think that would uh, be very beneficial for them going to try to win and cover this game. So even though Yale has a seven-footer, if you can space them out a bit or even inside, they've been a bit vulnerable. Their uh, opponents are shooting 63% at the rim against them. Right now, Kansas is shooting 70% at the rim. And Yale is giving up a ton of shots um, at the rim per game. Like They're in the the top third in the country in most shots allowed at the rim per game. So uh, they do give up those opportunities. I don't know how many of those are specifically from a center versus how many are drivers because you look at Evan Miyakawa's site and um both of their their wings who are good three point shooters but who play the majority of their minutes at the three and the four are uh in uh Pulikitis and, and Matt Nolan or, or Nick Townsend excuse me um are negatives on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that Kansas's wings, Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams, should have a big advantage driving to the rim and finishing at the rim in this game. And, and obviously, you know, if it is a slower game with, with the transition play being down and they struggle giving up shots at the rim, hello, Hunter Dickinson. Um, <laughs> what what to you is the most, most interesting player matchup? I mean, I think it's got to be Hunter Dickinson and Danny Wolf, right? The, the two big guys. Uh, you know, you look at what it also... You look at what Kansas did against Indiana. We talked about it. The fact that on defense, KU switched up KJ Adams to play more against Killaware. Is that something that Kansas wants to do more of? I don't think tonight because their four guy shoots a bunch of threes at like 40%. So you probably wouldn't want Hunter Dickinson out there? No. Yeah. So I I don't know. I'm just curious about that. I'm just, you know, my initial thought when when I was watching the Indiana game was that, okay, this is like a one off thing. But I started thinking about it and like, why, why wouldn't Kansas maybe be inclined to continue to, to utilize that type of strategy if the matchup is right, uh, which I guess in this game, maybe it, maybe it's not. But So that means you're going to see probably more of Hunter Dickinson in, the, in that five spot on defense uh, against Wolf. You, you kind of alluded to it. Dickinson has been it's, – it's actually mind-boggling how good he is at not getting into foul trouble. Like It doesn't even make sense for, for a guy like that to be able to not pick up fouls the way he does. Uh, so that'll be something to keep an eye on and how Yale wants to attack both, on both ends of the floor against Hunter Dickinson with, with their seven-foot guy because he seems like a guy that they definitely get involved a lot, right? 13 points, nine rebounds, like you mentioned. So 
when you have that when you have another player that is like Hunter Dickinson matching up, you don't want to just shy away from going to your guy if you're Yale, right? So what's their strategy to get him involved? Yeah. Uh, just to pick somebody else, uh, I, I do think the point guard matchup is actually very interesting. Bez Mabang, I, I could be wrong pronunciation there. He's a junior point guard for Yale. He leads the team at 13.6 points per game. He's also getting 4.8 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.9 steals per game, shooting 44% from the field. He's only shooting 26% from three, but he takes a lot of them, four and a half attempts per game. So um, you just hope if it's a guy who takes a lot of threes, the, the positive of that is that if he's having a cold game, he's going to shoot himself out of the game. The negative of that, because he's confident to take a lot of threes, if he happens to have one of those hot nights, you know, yeah, you, like a Tristan Newton. Exactly. Then you don't like being on the other end of that. Um, so it's not just that, that he's the leading scorer and, and those types of things, but also on uh, Evan Miyakawa's site, he's rated as their number one defender. So you have a, a kind of all-around point guard for them going up against DeWan Harris, and we saw DeWan be aggressive going for some buckets against Indiana. I want to see that again tonight against uh, Yale because that should be actually a, a good point guard matchup. Uh, KU wins and covers if what? I think KU wins and covers if they are able to Get out and run a little bit. If they if this game is not played thirty seconds at a time, uh, I think that'll that'll help get Yale to speed them up. Right, this is a game where I think if KU speeds up Yale, that'll affect them on both ends of the floor. Right, so if you can do that and you know work through Hunter Dickinson, and then if you get if you get some production from your bench, right? I mean, yeah. if Nick Timberlake does step up and hit a couple threes, if Jamar McDowell does play extended minutes and scores a little bit, if maybe Parker Brown does get in and and you know does, plays a little bit more. I would like to see a game where Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCullough, Dewan Harris, those I don't want to see those guys play 36, 37, 38 minutes. I mean, I understand you only have eight scholarship guys, so they're probably gonna end up playing that anyways, but let, let's let's get some bench. Let's get some bench here. Sure. Let's get somebody else going. I'll echo both of those. I'll I'll add one more. Um it's I know this is kind of an obvious, but if you're playing like you want to be there, I guess is the best way of putting it. Like I, I know that might sound a little harsh. I don't mean it to be, but um it, it, it's easy, and we've seen it before when you're looking ahead to the Christmas break. You're looking forward to traveling the next day, going home, seeing your family. And maybe it's not all the way there. Maybe you're not all the way locked in to what you need to be versus a team coming into town being like, oh, we got a chance to pull this awesome upset in an awesome environment that we don't normally get to play in front of. If you can match their level of intensity and focus, you should win this game going away. And it was funny, yesterday at the press conference, Bill Self uh, was asked about uh, his, it was like after the presser, he was asked about his like record in these games before Christmas. And uh, it was Gary Bedore bringing it up and he was like, do you know what your record is? And, and Bill was like, I don't know, is it bad? <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, it's good. It's 15 and five. And Bill Self was like, oh, that's not good. Which is so funny to me because objectively 15 and five is a very good record. That's pretty good. It's 75%. Yeah. But for Bill Self, that's not enough. You want like 80%. You want 85%, yeah. you know? So yeah. I, I just found that kind of funny. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll talk more about this game throughout the show. We've got some uh, audio coming up, including Bill Self Audio later this hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. KU Football Talk next. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. 
Four o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. We'll get some more KU basketball uh, conversation coming up in the five o'clock hour with our KU basketball game picks. Rock Chalk Pickahawk. We still got to get to some uh, KJ Adams audio. Uh, we still got game picks later this hour, too. But the Chiefs take on the Las Vegas Raiders. It's a Christmas Day game. It's like a yep. morning game on Christmas yeah. Day. So, so it's just like noon kickoff. It's 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 Monday night football without being night. It's just, Monday football. It's just yeah yeah. It's I feel weird. Like, I feel like you're overthinking this. It's just literally twelve o'clock. No, I just think it's, it's weird. Not Sunday. I know it's weird. <laughs> well, um, you know the NFL. They're trying to they're trying to take over Christmas Day away from the NBA. Yeah, you know so. So they've got there's three games on Monday and honestly all three of them are pretty good games. It's Chiefs Raiders, Eagles, Giants, and the last game is it's the 49ers uh, Ravens yeah, one. 49ers Ravens, which, yeah. uh, game of the yeah. week. Yeah. Well, the Chiefs have a chance to clinch the division with a win in this game. Yep. Uh, because if they win, they would give them their tenth win. Broncos are seven seven at best. Broncos could be ten and seven, and but a win in this one would would give the Chiefs the the edge in one of the I don't know if it'd be AFC record, division record, whatever it is. Either way, the Chiefs win the game. They clinch the division. Uh, I guess the Raiders still clinging to an outside shot of playoffs if they win yeah. out. But they I, probably believe, man. After they so. after they whoop up, whooped up on the <laughs> Chargers, you know, uh, which feels like so long ago, but just last Thursday. So yeah, this this game. I get the sense that this could be a possible tricky game for the Chiefs. The Raiders are going to be coming in with probably confidence at an all-time high. They just smoked the Chargers. Antonio Pierce seems like he's at least galvanized the locker room enough, right? Uh, Aiden O'Connell, it seems like he is a a game manager at best, but maybe I don't know if that's good enough in a game like this on the road. But, uh, yeah, so I think the, the Raiders are going to be coming in feeling good. It's a divisional game. Weird things can happen. The Chiefs, remember, the Chiefs got down fourteen nothing early against the Raiders when they played them on the road and came back to win. So, I don't know. I get the sense that the Raiders are going to be coming in with a lot of confidence, which I think could go one of two ways. Either it could, they could get kind of destroyed out the gate early, and that could all go away. Or maybe if the Raiders do get up again early, they could they put more pressure on the Chiefs here. So, and obviously the Chiefs still have everything to play for. I mean, you're trying to clinch the division. You're trying to get the one seed. You know. I find it a bit funny sometimes when people are always talking about the race for the one seed for the Chiefs. Well, guess what? You can't get the one seed unless you win the division. So yeah. you got to clinch the division first. I'm out on the one seed talk You're after done last it? week. After last week. I told you this last they week. They won, though. No, no, no. It wasn't about the Chiefs. They're two games back of the Ravens. The only the way— The Ravens still play the Niners, Dolphins, and Steelers. They could easily lose two of those. <sighs> easily. I don't know. Very I, I don't easily. see it happening. They very, played the Dolphins? Easily. I didn't yeah. think they played the Dolphins. So they, they have the Niners this week, then they have the Dolphins at home next week, and then they finish the season against the okay. Steelers. That's, the, that's I mean, their three I games. I guess it's possible. I don't know. Weird I, things I felt happen like the, the, Steelers. the Jacksonville one was the swing one. Weird weird things happen when the Steelers play Steelers are the so Ravens. Bad. But weird things happen. <laughs> weird things happen. You can't deny that. I just think, I think they'll go 2-1 in that stretch is, is what's likely to happen. But, okay. Uh, when you look at the Raiders, uh, you know they're they're ranked 24th in DVOA, 28th on offense, 11th on defense. So they've been pretty good there, and uh, 14th on special teams. But when you go back to that that first game, as you mentioned, it, it was a weird game with the Chiefs starting that slow and coming back. Patrick Mahomes actually had one of his better games of the year: 298 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, they actually did a good job. Did the Raiders stopping the Chiefs' running game? Um, Pacheco, Clyde. And Mahomes combined for 23 carries for 69 yards. So, you know, not a ton of leeway there. But if you remember, this was kind of the breakout Rashi Rice game. He yeah. led the team in targets with uh, eight of them in the game, and or, or with 10 of them, excuse me. He also led the team in catches with eight of them, 107 receiving yards and a touchdown. And from that point on, he's gone 
10 targets, 8 catches, 9 targets, 8 catches, 10 targets, 7 catches, 9 targets, 9 catches. That was the breakout for Rashi Rice. He has three touchdowns in the last four games. Maybe we see an encore in this game. Yeah. And the only receiver, by the way, that has more catches over that span that you just highlighted in the NFL is Michael Pittman, I believe. Mm. So uh, he's, yeah, Rushy Rice has definitely arrived. I think it's safe to say that. Uh, and just in the nick of time for the Chiefs wide receiver room, right? I mean, even even with Rushy Rice sort of arriving, uh, so to speak, you still don't feel fantastic about the Chiefs wide receiver situation, right? Uh, so they definitely, it was a requirement that Rushy Rice started getting going and the Chiefs started getting him involved more just to make you feel even a tiny bit better about the wide receiver room. Uh, and Justin Ross coming back, I don't really expect much out of him. I don't, I don't really know. No, I mean, I don't know. My my Maybe he plays ten snaps. Yeah, I mean my my sort of temperature on Justin Ross has been the same all along. It's been, well, I'm not going to expect anything, and then whatever he does do, cool, right? <laughs> like awesome, sick. Uh, you know, so you still you still look at Rashi Rice, Justin Watson, MVS, I guess being your top three guys. Tony, you know, I, I I'll be curious to see how Tony does or what his role is in the game against the Raiders. Uh, Travis Kelsey talked about how after the game he you know talked to Tony and. You know, basically try to, to to keep him keep him locked in, right? And 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 I do think Tony is a guy that you probably need to see make some plays if you want to go back to the Super Bowl again and win the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. I think because he is he is an electric playmaker. You know, as, as much as I've been kind of negative towards Tony about saying, oh, the trade was maybe bad because you know he's going to get injured, and then it turns out instead of being injured, he just sucks. So like, I, I even as much as much negative as I've been and as and as down as I've been on Tony, I, I do feel like. You need him to make some plays. Like you need him to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Michael Hardman possibly coming back into the mix. I don't know if he's going to play this week, but but uh, I, I don't know, man. I mean, the, the the wide receiver situation continues to be a, a revolving door of suck, and it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to matter who it is besides Rashi Rice, you know, and Justin Watson at times, right? I mean, dude, I'm a Justin Watson super fan. That dude's awesome. <laughs> so big fan of Justin Watson, uh, but. Yeah, man, I think the Raiders are going to come in pretty jacked up. Uh, so we'll see how this game goes for the Chiefs. They they need to make sure that they can get this win. I mean, this is you, you look at the Bengals next week, and then you finish the season against the Chargers. Like, I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, you're facing three backup quarterbacks. Should be an easy should be an easy coast for the Chiefs here at the end." Jake Browning is looking pretty good. Like, I think the Bengals game is going to be tough, and I think this game is probably going to be tough for the Chiefs. I was a bit surprised to see the line as large as it is. Uh, with the Chiefs favored by 9, 10 points, I I feel like that's quite a bit. I mean, with the Raiders, I will say this. It's probably going to go one of two ways. Either it'll be a dogfight or the Chiefs are going to blow them out. I think those are probably yeah. the two scenarios that are most likely. So I guess maybe that's maybe they're just thinking, okay, even if it is a dogfight, the Chiefs will just score late and still end up winning by double digits. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a bit of a weird feeling about this game. Not that the Chiefs are going to lose, but I think it's going to be – a competitive close game. I think the Raiders are going to come in fired up. And unless the Chiefs kind of start fast, I think this is going to be a, a, a dogfight. Well, it's, uh, it's supposed to rain a bunch on Sunday and, and possibly could be raining Monday. Does that impact anything for you? Mm, not really, no. I mean, uh, I guess is Pacheco, I don't know what his status is. Is he going to be available? It sounds like he's maybe going to try to play. I've kind of been under the assumption but, he's going to play, but, but yeah. Not, maybe know. not 100%. I don't know. I mean, the guy, he just, you just had shoulder surgery like last week. I mean, I don't know. So, could be another Clyde game. Could be another Jarek McKinnon game. You know, one positive from the Patriots game, big takeaway that I had was Jarek McKinnon got going. Do you remember, do you remember last year? Last year in December, Jarek McKinnon he had, like, had like eight touchdowns. Two touchdowns every yes. week. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I was happy to see that kind of happen again with the Patriots. Uh, Pacheco was a full participant at practice. Okay, so he's going to so, be fine, basically. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. 
So, but maybe coming back, you want to still, yeah. you know, rotate the other guys in. Yeah, for but sure. that's what's interesting. I mean, you go back to the last game. I mentioned sixty-nine yards and twenty-three carries. That's you know three yards a carry. That's nothing that the Chiefs were averaging against the Raiders last game. But Raiders have not been like a good running team at either end of the ball. They're thirty-first in the NFL in yards per attempt offensively. They're twenty-second in the NFL in yards allowed per carry. So even though the Raiders did a good job against the Chiefs' running game last time. This has not been a great running defense. Like that is something where, with the rain, I want to see the Chiefs establish the run. You know, and this is a perfect opportunity to do it and have a game where you didn't do it last time. Kind of flip around to to maybe doing it a little bit this time. Yeah, and I I think one other thing that I'm kind of looking for for the Chiefs from this game because this is still one of the more of those games where it's more about you know what are you doing uh, internally I guess for the Chiefs. I didn't realize this. I mean, there's been there's been talk about the Chiefs, you know, red zone struggles. Um, they're not like a, a great red zone. They're 14th in, in red zone percentage in the NFL, so like they've been average, which you would hope with that's, Patrick Mahomes, they should yeah, be by the Chiefs' standards. Right? That's struggling. Yeah, um, I didn't realize this. They're 30th in the NFL in fourth down conversion percentage. Yeah, now it's and not a also, huge sample. It's five of 13, and they still. also have really struggled to score in the fourth quarter. One of the worst yeah. teams in the league in scoring in the fourth quarter as well. Which uh, you know, again, if you think about. Greatness. You think about having that clutch gene, having that late game drives. You know, three minutes left in the fourth quarter, four minutes left in the fourth quarter. You go down and score to either maybe put the game away or get back in the game. I.e., like the Bills game or the or the Packers game where you had multiple drives in the fourth quarter that couldn't get it done. So th- that's still some eyebrow raising statistics from the Chiefs. Uh, and it's kind of funny. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, they still got time to turn it around. They still got time to turn it on. You got three <laughs> games left. You yeah. got three games. Yeah. Three games to to build up whatever confidence you think you might have in the Chiefs going into the playoffs, you know. And you look around the AFC, the Ravens. I'm still not scared of them, but you can't deny that they look pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Bills obviously are playing maybe the best football in the NFL right now, and they're probably going to find a way in the playoffs. The Dolphins, I think, are still a fairly dangerous team, I guess. But uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of questions right now for the Chiefs, and and we'll see how things play out over these next couple weeks. I mean. Obviously, I'm going to put on the Chiefs' color glasses and feel pretty good regardless, but uh, there there are reasons to be concerned, certainly, still. Yeah, and uh, I, I think maybe the most interesting matchup in this game for me is that um, we know Max Crosby is one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. Wait, wait, he usually, do, they, do they actually have beef? Crosby and Mahomes? I don't know. I mean, is, you is go it back real? to the, the documentary, right? Yeah, is it real? It might be. It might be. Um, but he's a really good player, and he seems to always play well against the Chiefs. In yeah. that first game they played, he had the one Raiders sack. And it becomes interesting because you think about it for the Chiefs, Wanya Morris has started to become the left tackle, right? And I don't know the status of Donovan Smith. I don't know even if Donovan Smith is back. Do they just stick with Wanya Morris? Whatever. Um, ESPN, they have uh, 20 qualified offensive tackles for pass block win rate. Juwan Taylor's 12th, so that's, you know, okay. You would probably hope for a little better based on how you're paying him. Yeah, but, for real. you know, that, that's okay. Donovan Smith is 16th there out of 20, so that's not very good. I don't know what Wanya Morris would be, but that becomes the most interesting matchup to me. Either if Crosby's matched up on Jawan Taylor, who is your, you know, high-paid offensive tackle you brought in who's been penalty-plagued, but I think outside of the penalties has played pretty well. Or okay, sure. does yeah. he get flipped onto Wanya Morris as a rookie, and how does he deal with that if that is the case? Yeah, and with the Chiefs' offensive line, it's kind of funny. I, I think a lot of people just say, oh, the Chiefs' offensive line is good. But they have had their fair share of struggles at times, right? So uh, that's definitely probably the biggest one of the biggest matchups to keep an eye on, especially for keeping Mahomes clean and healthy uh, this late in the season. And 
to your point, running the ball can help mitigate that kind of stuff, right? If you can be more successful on the ground, that can kind of uh, mitigate that pass rush and mitigate the effects of a guy like Max Crosby on getting hits on Mahomes. So, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be a curious one for sure. Okay, the Chiefs win and cover if what? I think if they get a fast start, uh, that, that's that's my biggest thing. I kind of mentioned it. Like I, I feel like the Raiders are going to come in pretty fired up and, and ready to go, and I think if the Chiefs respond to that and start quickly and, and have a, a good start to the game, I think that they'll, that will help them. You know, I mean, I, I don't have any faith in Aiden O'Connell initiating no. any sort of comeback, right? So uh, I think if they, I think if they start quickly and get some points on the board board early, uh, that should that should that would make me feel pretty good about their chances of, of winning and covering because uh, otherwise, I do think it'll be a, a tight game. Like it, like, like I, I know you go back, they got down fourteen nothing, and they still ended up winning by fourteen in that game, but on the road, but. I don't know if you do. I think how many times can you afford to do that against a, against the same opponent and still expect to be able to climb out of a double digit deficit like that? Yeah, I think you cover the ten points if you catch the ball in the rain, but that seems to be kind of a big <laughs> if. Uh, I, I would say you cover if you're able to run the ball well. Again, three yards per carry last game. Let's say you get that to four and a half yards per carry. You're able to you know have Pacheco run for sixty and Jet runs for twenty and Clyde runs for twenty five and Mahomes scampers for another twenty or something. I think you're able to do it that way because I, you're going to be able to throw the ball as long as players catch the ball. That would be kind of the, the big thing there. And then outside of that, you know, the Chiefs only got one sack against the Raiders last game. It was George Karloftis on a play that oh, yeah, you yeah. called the greatest blitz you've ever seen, right? Yes. No, dude, that play was—I will never yeah. forget that play, literally. It was a luxurious Sneed. Like, it was, there was a twist, and then Sneed came late, totally unblocked. It was like— I mean, it was art. I was yeah. watching art. It was it was insane. It was, that that, should, that play should be framed forever. And it took that to get their lone sack of the game. Go out, get more sacks in this game. Go get more pressure. Chris Jones take over game. George, Cole, whoever it is, uh, for the Chiefs. I think yeah, that Chris Jones maybe. Uh, that a guy needs to step up a little bit. He's been a little quiet lately. He's been getting a lot of like quarterback pressures and doing yeah. different stuff, but hasn't been showing up in big moments. Maybe this so, is the game. I don't know. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get back and do some uh, more KU football or KU basketball talk, excuse me, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour with our KU game picks and Rock Chalk Pickahawk. We also have some KJ Adams audio we need to get to. We are out today at 5.30 for pregame coverage of KU Yale with tip-off at 7 o'clock, and you can listen to that game right here on KLWN and our sister station with 105.9 KISS. Uh, there's some interesting stuff. We, we mentioned a little yesterday going on with Florida State that Florida State is basically trying to get out of the ACC. And yeah. they had a board meeting today, um, and basically this comes down to to leave the ACC to pay the exit fee because they are under contract as the ACC grant of rights or whatever yeah, it's called. To like, to like 2035 or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a long time. It's another over a decade. Yeah, it's, um, one, it's one of those funny situations where it's like at the time that they probably signed it, they were like, oh, this is genius. Like we're going to be yeah. locked in. You know, we don't have There's to so worry about it. Yeah, we, we're stable. We're secure. And then, of course, the money of the cultural landscape just, you know, quadrupled and kept going up and up and up. And now their deal looks terrible because they're locked in at, you know, whatever small penny, you know, Fifteen million a year—that's pennies or whatever. Yes. So uh, basically, the cost for them to leave at this point in time, uh, there was something for Brett McMurphy that estimated it at about five hundred and seventy million dollars. Yeah, five hundred seventy-two million. Which means they ain't leaving unless they can find some sort of legal loophole, which is basically what this comes down to. They are now basically trying to um, 
dismiss the grant of rights as being unenforceable. They're basically trying to say um, that this is not something that you can enforce on us. And, and I don't know See, what those stupid. How I don't do know they, what the legal what arguments like, are going to be. Yeah, here. I mean, what I mean, what what is that? The argument is, well, we think it's dumb, so therefore it doesn't count. Like what? That no, like you can't just you can't just do whatever you want. You yeah, know? that's I mean, the thing. Like you you sign contracts for a reason, right? Like yeah. So I, I don't know if they're going to be able to if, find some it's, loophole. It's, it's your fault if the contract sucks. Right. I don't know what legal arguments they're going to make to try to get out of this. You know, one funny thing that came out of this is that uh, the ACC's grant of rights is believed to be ironclad, but that hasn't stopped, this is directly from The Athletic, uh, hasn't stopped lawyers from most ACC schools from examining the document for more than a year in efforts to find a way to successfully challenge it in court. The document is located at ACC headquarters and can't be removed or copied, so school officials must visit to view it. <laughs> so they, they don't actually, everybody doesn't have their own copy, or they don't have, like, a PDF form. Uh-huh. If they want to view it, they have to, like, go into probably some wow. library or so something. So do you think ACC officials are like, dude, why do these why, why do these guys keep showing up to our office? Right. What do they want? <laughs> dude, that is so petty to make them do that, but I kind of love it, actually. It's kind of smart, actually. Yeah, it is. It's kind of smart. I actually I actually do really, really like that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, for the for Florida State, Wow, shockingly, it sucks when you don't make it as much money as the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas of the world. Oh, and by the way, your conference schedule is Boston College, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. I mean, talk about... But see, that's that's what I don't get here, this whole idea that, because it, this has been mentioned a couple times throughout the day and, and in the board meeting and everything, the idea that, uh, this is Drew Weatherford said this at the board meeting today, who is a former Florida State quarterback and board member. He says, the Seminoles are trying to seek true competitive spirit and equitable competition. We are taking a step in the right direction to try to fix the system. What I don't understand with that is we are moving to a 12-team playoff next year. No. This situation that happened to Florida State, as much as it sucks for them, it will never happen again. Yeah. To a power five. You go undefeated as a power five school or whatever it's gonna end up being, power three, power four. I whatever. mean, you go undefeated in any at, at you're any gonna school. make the playoff now. You're gonna be in. twelve teams. Yeah. So I mean, what Liberty what are they, Liberty would have been in this year. Wouldn't isn't it a better situation for Florida State to be in the ACC then? Because isn't that an easier path? Yeah, I mean than I making guess. it as, I mean, as I, a I guess four SEC team? I, my my assumption is that it's one of those things where it's just a fear of being left behind, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're Florida State and you're in the ACC I mean, think about how easy now it is for SEC schools to recruit over you and be like, hey, we, we actually have the best competition, right? You can go play at Florida State, but you're going to be playing against crap schools. Yeah. And who cares, right? Like, it's about prestige. It's about you know, everything else. And, and then, you know, and then if that happens, then all of a sudden, the, you know, the dollars are starting to dry up. You know, I mean, maybe it's harder to convince a Florida State booster to spend a bajillion dollars uh, if, you, if you're stuck in the ACC. So, I get it. I mean, it's but it, you're kind of chasing ghosts at that point, right? Or you're chasing, sure. you're you're trying to preempt fears that haven't come to reality yet, essentially, uh, which can be dangerous. Which can be a dangerous game to play, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting, and for Florida State, like like you said, I mean, five hundred and seventy million. I mean, I I don't. I mean, I don't know that they have that just probably laying around. I can't I mean, imagine. <laughs> I have no idea. Think so, some donors willing to pay it. That's what I'm saying. That'd I don't be know. Amazing. I mean, so, th- so let's think about this way. So, David imagine Booth, they have some like billionaire donor who he like writes in his will. He's like on his deathbed, and he just writes in his will. He's like, you know, my money is just going to go to FSU being out of the SEC or, or being out, out of the, the ACC. ACC to go to the SEC or wherever. Well, let's think about this. So, let's let's think about some of the the big names that come to my mind. So, like T Boone Pickens. Sure. How much money do you think he gave to 
to Oklahoma State to to build their stadium a couple years ago. I mean, probably a couple I, hundred million, right? Probably between between everything that T Boone Pickens ever gave to Oklahoma State, I bet you he gave about a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So if you have one guy, if you have if you if you have a T Boone Pickens just laying around, maybe you can convince him to fork over, you know. But the problem is, it's like the 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 issue with trying to convince somebody to do that is this five hundred and seventy million. It's it'll be it's dead money. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Like it's like you're just giving it away. It's dead. Right. It's not like you're giving three hundred million and, and, you're, you're and your result. name's gonna be on the stadium, yeah. or you're gonna get a bunch of recruits, or you're gonna get a bunch of facilities. Wait, this could you imagine that? Money. I just realized. What if they get into a business deal with like a billionaire who basically says, "Okay, how much are they making out of the ACC uh, group of rights agreement? Uh, like thirty-five like, million a year or something much. like that, yeah. right? Not Let's that just much. say thirty million a year. That'll make it easy to, to calculate. If they're making thirty million a year, if you join the SEC, how much are the SEC schools making a year? Sixty, seventy. Let's say it's sixty, so you double it. More. What I, mean, if, I think in the Big Ten they're making almost a hundred. What if some business, you know, donor says, "Hey, I will donate the five. <laughs> he's worth a billion dollars. I will donate the five hundred and you know seventy million dollars that's needed for you to leave the league. But you're going to be making thirty more million dollars per year as part of joining the SEC than you would in the ACC. Give that all to us. You have to give me twenty million of that every year until we're we're square." But dude, that would take that would take thirty years. I don't know. Well, maybe Twenty the guys million like, a year. Maybe the guys to make like, up five hundred million. I don't know. I mean, jeez, man. By the way, uh, the f- uh, the final donation that the Pickens Foundation to Oklahoma State gave over six hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, so I he's mean, definitely given like a billion over the course of his yeah life. In- insane. Yeah, insane. that's crazy. I mean, we're talking huge numbers here, and meanwhile, you know, I have zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was the there was the one report too from that was like uh, the Big Ten, the the SEC would would be likely, but it also mentioned the Big Twelve. Yeah, McMurphy mentioned the Big Twelve. Yeah, do you actually view that as serious? Because I don't. Well, I mean, no, and it would be one of the situations where like if you're the Big Twelve, like if Florida State does finagle their way out of this crap, of course the Big Twelve would love and it, and they're like Florida State's like we're going to the Big Ten. The Big Ten's like nah, sorry, pass. Florida State's like, fine, we'll go to the SEC. SEC's like, nah, pass. And then Florida State's like, okay, I mean, I guess we'll go to the lowly Big 12. Yeah, you know, I guess you keep it as know. a backup plan. And then plan. It, does the Big 12 say like, well, wait a minute. You don't even want to be here, so screw you. I mean, is there any scenario where the Big 12 is and like, they go back to the nah, ACC. we're good, actually. No, I don't think Stick that's scenario. Would, I, I think they'd be so valuable for the Big 12, I, especially when you have UCF in there and, and what that would do. Which that would be hilarious that Florida State would have to be in the same conference as UCF. But um Central Florida. Central yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's the right way to pronounce it. Uh I I didn't view it as like serious. I think it's something where like Brett Yormark was probably like, Hey, Brett McMurphy. I mean we know do me a solid. We, we know Yormark is wheeling and dealing with sure. some of this stuff. But I I, th- I could see him being like, Hey, do me a solid, say we would be in the running so it looks good for the Big Twelve, and then I'll give you a leak on something later. You know? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it was. But I, I think this certainly brings up an interesting part because I, it is revamped the idea of, like, every time there is one shakeup, it's not just the one shakeup. It's not just, hey, if Florida State leaves, Florida State's gone and everything else is yeah, status Yeah, it's like quo. 17 dominoes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's Going what other ACC Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer-like effect. Yes. Uh, again, probably a little <laughs> too, you know, a little too much. But I don't yeah. know. Maybe not. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, is it safe to say that this latest round of realignment has been Oppenheimer-like? I mean, it killed an entire conference. It, you blew up an entire conference. I guess, from that standpoint, that I mean, is you good literally point. destroyed an entire oh, right. Power Five conference. And if, if this happens with Florida State, maybe it would blow up the ACC. 
Maybe there you would, go. So maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe you know. Maybe I don't think it's. Maybe it's not that extreme sure. to say that. Well, and and if that does happen, then what you're going to end up with is you'll end up with a couple schools probably go to the SEC, like maybe Florida State, Miami, Clemson, and one other school goes to the yeah, SEC. But, okay, let's be honest. Clemson, what do they have to offer? They, they suck. Go to football here lately. No, they suck. Okay. Well, whatever it is, I, don't I wouldn't want Clemson. And then let's say Virginia and I don't know North Carolina, Duke go to the Big Ten. And then what happens with the Big 12? Do they absorb a big amount of the ACC? You know, um, what would make? I think what would make sense for the Big 12, actually, if that does happen. Try to get North go Carolina Go get North and Carolina and Duke. And further and like, the basketball and, side and Virginia. of Virginia. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that would be smart, but I think the I mean, Big if you're Ten gonna have would a, be on the prowl for both those. If ends. you're going to have a Big 3, like the Big 12, Big 10, SEC. Yeah. If you're the Big 12 and, you're, and you are somewhat inferior in football, then you need to be that much better. Continue to steer into it. No, I agree. I agree. What if what if the SEC steers into it though too and says, you know what, we already got this thing football thing covered. All we have to do in basketball, if we added North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas, we would have the he four blue bloods. He wouldn't go to the SEC. Would they? To the SEC? Why not? I know I all this talk's that... been the Big Ten, and I, I would say that would be more likely than the SEC. No. But I, I why? Mean... You would have your rivalry with Missouri. If they added North Carolina and Duke, if the ACC blew up, would that not be super enticing? I don't think the SEC— have all four Blue Bloods in one conference? I don't think the SEC wants to add whatever add Kansas. I mean, I, unless KU— I don't think they would, but what if they Lance continue to do well has, football? Yeah, I was about to say, unless, Lamp, unless Lance Leipold has KU winning like 10 games sure. a year over the next like four years. I, I guess I wouldn't rule it out, but uh, there, there was also— you know, we go back to whatever three, four, five years ago when there was all the conversation of oh, Big Ten would they add Kansas? I think if the ACC blows up, then maybe the Big Ten is more likely to add more schools, and maybe Kansas, like maybe maybe it's North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas to the Big Ten. You know, I guess yeah, here becomes the know. interesting question: Would you have Kansas leave the Big Twelve in this scenario? The scenario where the ACC blows up. Part of it goes to the SEC, part of it goes to the Big Ten, part of it goes to the Big 12. Would you have Kansas leave the Big 12 if the Big Ten or SEC invite comes? Or would you just rather stick in the Big 12? I mean, I'd probably rather stay in the Big 12, to be honest. I mean, it, I guess it would depend. Because, like, I have to assume in that scenario that the money discrepancy between the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big 12 would not be that significant, right? I mean, if, if the Big 12 is in that scenario... They would probably be the third fiddle, but you would still be probably in a position to offer significant, significant money, I would think. So I you know, and I, I don't know in that scenario, I don't know that the Big Twelve I don't know that the Big Ten or the SEC would be like, Hey, we can get, you know, fifty million more for our for our rights for T V and stuff than what the Big Twelve is offering. I feel like the Big Twelve would have to have a reasonable a, sure. a reasonable offer. And at that point, man, like you look at this you look at this the landscape of the Big Twelve right now, I mean we've talked about it. KU has a chance to be the number one program in the Big 12 in athletics, right? Yeah. When you look and at what basketball, is that worth? especially with the 12 team playoff, right? Exactly. When you look at basketball, it's your path. When you look at football and the fact that you know in this new landscape of football, with how with how KU is playing, they they should be able to make an argument to be in the top three or four programs, right? I mean, you got Utah, you got Kansas State, you Arizona. got TCU, you know, I guess Baylor, I guess. Oklahoma State, I get, right? Like, there's a lot of schools there that you could easily make the argument that Kansas could leapfrog them in terms of, like, football hierarchy, right? So I would I would say that's got to be worth something. To be, the, be, to be the number one athletic department in the Big 12 at that point 
That's got to be worth something. It does. And and there's the the conversation of, well, if you, you get the Big Ten or SEC invite, you get way more money. And that is worth something. But again, the, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I guess in that scenario, if the Big 12 is still one of the three remaining yeah. conferences, I have to assume that they would be in a position to generate enough revenue to to maybe not maybe not compete with the Big Ten and the SEC still. But like I said, I mean, is there in that scenario would the Big Ten and the SEC really be able to say, hey, we can give you 50, 60, 70 million more dollars? I, I don't know. I would think that the Big 12 would have to be able to generate enough sure. revenue to, to no, still it depends. be I mean, if, close. If, if Close. you're getting 80 million in the Big Ten versus 60 in the Big 12, is it worth it? I don't know. If you're getting 120 in the Big Ten and 60 in the Big 12, is that worth it? Yeah, probably. And like the money can help with facilities and, and jobs and all this stuff. That again, we're not actually receiving the money. So why should we care about which conference is making more money and which you would be in? You know, it's not make, giving me any money. So wouldn't you rather have the more enjoyable where you have a chance to win your conference and, and like you said, the easier path maybe there with yeah. the Big 12? I don't know. I mean, I guess it just, it's going to come to a head, and I've talked about this. You know, it'll come to the point where how much is it truly worth to be making a gazillion dollars, you know, for some of these other schools that aren't Alabama, Georgia, you know, those types of, you know, Ohio State, Michigan State, how much, Michigan, how much is it worth, how much is it to be worth a gajillion dollars, but go three and nine in football every yeah. year and never have a chance to win anything? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I understand money is important, right. obviously. But. but see, it's it also becomes weird because it's easy for, for me to look at, like, what the new Big Ten will be with 20 teams and be like, Man, that means if you want to go nine and three or ten and two in the Big Ten, you're going to have to beat some collection of Notre Dame and USC and UCLA and Ohio State and Michigan. But because there's 20 teams, you're not going to have to play all of them in a given year. No, I know. And, and, and you know, you know. could get a case where maybe you know maybe you're a Wisconsin and your schedule ends up right. being Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, Iowa, like and one Penn you know, State. Yeah, and, and then you go yeah, eleven right. and one or whatever. There's no guarantee. So I I don't know. I think it's just an interesting discussion, but. Uh, certainly one to keep an eye on, and uh, obviously this Florida State story is going to carry on probably for a long time with a legal battle, and uh, then we'll have some, I don't know, uh, maybe another shakeup in uh, the College Basketball Conference realignment stage. All right, let's get to our game picks coming up next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Well, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. Time for our game picks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Again, we're out early today at 5.30 for KU Yale coverage right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, so, Nick, on the football side, 91-77-6. I'm 86-83-5. In college football, Nick is 36-37-2. Went 2-3 and three last week. I am 30-43-2. I also went 2-3 and three last week. We're going to start off in uh, college football with the Gasparilla Bowl, which is happening in uh, about less than an hour from right now. Georgia Tech taking on UCF. Central Florida is favored by five and a half. Yeah, Central Florida, first of all. Uh, thank you for calling the correct term <laughs> yes. here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Georgia Tech has a couple big wins this season. I'm going to go with Georgia Tech. Like, I don't know, UCF, they've had a bit of a disappointing season. How are, how realistically are they going to be fully up for this? Give me, uh, give me Georgia Tech. Georgia the rambling, wait, rambling wreck, right? That's them. Uh, I think that's like the nickname because the yeah, actual wreck. the the team name is the Yellow Jacket. Well, I know, but they do like the little old timey yeah. car that you know. Yeah, 
Ramblin', I think Ramblin' Wreck, yeah. Which that sounded so much better when they were a triple option team. They <laughs> really not. did. No, it that did. sounds no, like how you're describing no, triple option. No, it's you, a know, you know, wreck. I just had this thought. Think the world has gone downhill, mm-hmm. and it all started with Georgia Tech stopping to run the triple option. Okay, well, we, they need we to hire, a, you know, Paul Johnson. We need or, to bring him back. I don't know, maybe Paul Johnson have a Munkin son that can run triple option at Georgia Tech? Maybe. Because, you know, just hire Jeff Munkin from Army. There you go. Something. There you go. But the, the world, everything's gone wrong. Yeah. Since Georgia Tech stopped. We need more triple. triple. I think there has to be one designated triple option team in every league. I'm fine with that. Yeah, right? I'm fine Including with that. the NFL. NFL needs one triple option. <laughs> no. Team. No. Triple option would not work in the NFL. But I would like to see it. It wouldn't work. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would. No. Yes, I would. You would not. It would, it You're would, telling me it would be any worse than like watching uh, Zach Wilson yes. or watching? No, I think it would be worse. No, it wouldn't. Yes. It would be more entertaining. It would be way worse. You know, with like Lamar Jackson? No. They were basically running it a couple years ago. Anyway, uh, I'm going Georgia Tech. There should be a lot of points in this game. Both offenses are really good, explosive. Georgia Tech's had kind of a crazy uh, year. Sometimes I like picking those teams. Like, they had the crazy Miami finish. They had another crazy finish in a win over North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Did did they beat Clemson or no? I don't think they beat Clemson. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, sometimes I like picking the teams who had, like, crazy magic over the course of the year because it feels like they're – Destined to win the bowl game. So give me Georgia Tech plus five and a half. Uh, Birmingham Bowl is Troy minus seven against Duke. So Duke is without Riley Leonard and right. I believe one of their running Jordan backs, Waters. Jordan Waters, yeah. also uh, not there. So that's why the line is the way it is. Uh, I'm going to roll with Troy, right? Troy, another double digit win season for Troy. Yeah. You know, Great defense. Neil Brown, who? They're fine without him. Give me Troy. Troy got smoked by Kansas State. Dude, that was like four months ago. I'm just saying, like, they didn't show up against Power 5 competition. What am I to think of this one? No. And, yes, they don't have Riley Leonard, but guess what? Riley Leonard was hurt, like, all year long. No, I know. They played the backup a lot of times. Yes, no, Jordan Waters. Waters had 753 on the ground. Their backup, Jaquez Moore, 601 on more yards per carry. I think they're going to be okay. And here's the thing that gets me for Duke. So we have the questions about with bowl games, how much does it, how much does the team care? How much yeah. does it matter? Mike Elko, the head coach, gone to Texas A&M. Obviously, would be a oh, reason yeah. for Duke not to care about this game. Guess what? Like, all of the coordinators and assistant coaches that he tried to bring with him to A&M were like, no, we're staying at Duke. Wow. I think that matters, and in a game like this, I think they care more. Give me Duke plus seven. Wow. Armed Forces Bowl, uh, James Madison minus two versus Air Force. That's actually a really good game. Yeah, this is tough because, I mean, first of all, how do you not pick Air Force in the Armed Forces Bowl? I know. I mean, seriously, what are we doing? They here? killed Baylor in it last year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that's my first thought. My second thought, though, is this. Think about James Madison. They weren't even supposed to be here. The big, bad NCAA wanted to keep James Madison down, but they couldn't. Those boys persevered, and they made it. They got to this bowl game. They got to this moment. You think they fought that hard to get to a bowl game, to Mm. be eligible for a bowl game, just to lose? No. James Madison. Okay. Uh, So James Madison so far this season is first in the country in – Defensive success rate against the run. What does Air Force do? They run the football a ton, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yes. They run the triple option. I know. And they're also 12th is James Madison and EPA per rush defense. So good running defense. I think they're the more athletic team. I think they have more explosive offense. Air Force stumbled down the stretch. Remember that when they were like 7-0? and Finished 8-4. Yeah. and four. Oh. So uh, give me James hey, Madison. Air Force, two. I, they, lost to, they lost to UNLV, I think. UNLV beat Air Force. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, comeback win. Yeah. For, uh, UNLV. All right, Las Vegas Bowl. Utah is minus six and a half against Northwestern. Yeah, the ain't listen, Mister Pig, Pig Farmer betrayed. He transferred. Me. I know yeah. he betrayed me. He betrayed me. Yeah, who's even Utah's quarterback? In this I, game? I I don't know. Because Nate Johnson, the other quarterback, transferred. Well, is Cam Rising? He's like, is he playing? 
I don't know. Is he? I know he's coming back. The point is, Mr. Pig betrayed me. You know, I was I was in his corner. I had his back all season long. And what does he do? He stabs me in the back and and transfers. Northwestern. Yeah, dude, I have no idea who their quarterback is because they, they shut down Rising for the end of the year. Nate Johnson, who, who played a lot in the Florida game, their first game of the year, he transferred. And then, uh, yeah, the, the pig farmer transferred away too, which has he picked a new school yet? I don't, I don't know. But whatever school he picks, it's hard because I feel betrayed, but I might have to still be a fan for whatever new school he okay. picks. Well, I'm just saying, that means Utah's on a fourth-string quarterback. Give me Northwestern, who was sneaky good this year, plus six and a half. Hawaii Bowl, Coastal Carolina versus San Jose State late into the night tomorrow night. Uh, the Spartans are giving up nine. Mm, yeah, this is a, a an interesting game of which, you got to be honest, I know nothing about either one of these teams. Other than, is Grace McCall still the quarterback? Or did he well, transfer? he was, but he, he transferred. transferred. He's going to Okay, well, for that reason, somewhere. give me San Jose State. The Spartans. You know, I had an NCAA football 14 dynasty with that San Jose State one time. Oh, Grace McCall's and, going to uh, NC State. We uh, won the national title. With San Congratulations. Well, so, that would make my mom happy. My mom is an alum of San Jose State. Really? That's right. Oh, yeah. They're the Spartans, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, yeah they are. Spartans, yeah. Jeff Garcia, famous alum of yeah. San Jose State. Yeah, give me San Jose State. Everything about that makes me want to pick San Jose State, but I, I, I just have a hard time. Like uh, Nine points is a lot in a bowl game. Coastal Carolina got smacked in their bowl game last year. How often do we see a team get blown out in back-to-back bowl games? Good question. Playing in Hawaii. I mean, Myrtle Beach is basically the Hawaii of the East Coast. Oh, Think okay, about it. Okay. And so <laughs> they're, they're probably, not going to get caught up in the, oh, we're in Hawaii, you know? You're probably going a little too far. Give me Coastal Carolina plus nine. Uh, lock of the week, college, you are 7-7-1. Seven, seven yeah, well, I actually want to – I was just looking up, I was trying to decide what I wanted, and uh, you, you, were, you brought up the Utah-Northwestern situation. Under 41 and a half. Mm. Utah on their 18th string quarterback. Northwestern, they're a Big Ten team. Of course, they're not going to score a lot of points. Under – 41 and a half, Utah Northwestern. Okay, so this is actually really weird because is this right? What's really weird? It it sounds as if Bryson Barnes, even though he's transferring, is gonna play in the bowl game. Oh, nice. Okay. So now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking my Northwestern pick. No, I'm back in on Pig Farmer now. Are we gonna switch to picking Utah? Oh. Plan. I got to back him, right? I backed him all year. No, you kind of have to. All right, give me Utah, but still I, under. I too am going to switch to Utah. Wow, that's so weird. Why would you transfer and play in the boat anyway? Whatever. Uh, I am going to go with Eastern Michigan plus seventeen against South Alabama. Same South Alabama team that crushed Oklahoma State. Eastern Michigan is used to playing the underdog role. They play well in that role. Seventeen is a lot in a bowl game. So both teams are I six also, and six. I also had a dynasty with Eastern Michigan and uh, won the national championship there too. Congratulations! Uh, on to the any, NFL. Any small school team, there was probably a chance I had a dynasty with them. Okay, At least one. NFL. Uh, you are forty-two twenty-five and three. You went one three and one last week. I am 40-28-2. and two. I went two two and one last week. First up is Detroit minus three at Minnesota. Yeah, so one three and one. That's pro- that's got to be my worst week, right? Probably, probably in the, the NFL. You've been killing it. Yeah. So I got to find a way to bounce back here. And this this. Slate, I don't really have a good feel for a lot of these games. Detroit, uh, they just blew out the Broncos. But Minnesota's, I don't, who, I don't even know who Minnesota started. Quarter, uh, Nick Mullins, right? Just a yeah. Nick Mullins. Uh, I'm gonna go Minnesota, man. Let down game okay. here for let down game here for for Detroit. I'm going to Detroit. I feel like they're back after the the Broncos game, and I feel like Minnesota after they went through the early season they suck. Then Kirk Cousins started playing great. Then he gets injured. Then Josh Dobbs plays great, and then it was like, okay, Minnesota's actually pretty good now. Feels like Minnesota's falling off again. Uh, give me Detroit. 
Cleveland minus three at Houston. Another tough one. Houston's going to be rolling out to Davis Mills, I believe. Yep. No C.J. Stroud still. But they found a way to gut out a win against the Titans last week. You're playing against one of the best defenses in the league in Cleveland. But the question is, can Cleveland's offense score enough points to win the game? Uh, listen, Houston, very frisky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Texans. Give me Houston. I just, I, I mean, it's, it's. I think it's actually going to be Case Keenum as the quarterback. For oh, really? Houston. They benched Davis Mills? Yeah, I mean, theoretically, Keenum, is he that different than what Joe Flacco is now at 37? I mean, Flacco's been slinging it around. I'm going to go Cleveland minus three. They've got the good defense here. And, and yeah, I guess Flacco back-to-back 300-yard games. Jacksonville at Tampa Bay. Uh, the Bucks are minus three. Yeah, I think all indications would be to go with the Bucks here after Jacksonville's kind of trending downwards, and the Bucks got a big win against the Packers last week. Here's why I'm going with Jacksonville. They are a lot better on the road than they are at home, which doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to go. But the thing is, is it's in Tampa, so it's still in Florida, so still close to home. But I'm still going with Jacksonville. Yeah, I was originally going to go Tampa Bay because I read an injury report that Trevor Lawrence had not practiced yet this week. Uh, sounds like an update from a few hours ago that he actually did practice today after coming back from concussion protocol. So for that reason, I will actually go with Jacksonville. I like your thinking there. Dallas is at Miami. The Dolphins are minus one. Dude, this is the... I'm trying to think of a superlative for this for this game. It's it's the, the two teams that can't beat good teams but are both seen as good teams both. And two teams that I don't trust in a cold weather game in the playoffs. So this Need is to tough. play at home. I mean, this is like this is like a stoppable force meeting a very movable <laughs> object because neither one of these teams I mean, Miami hasn't beaten a team over five hundred yet this year, I don't think. And Dallas has the their Eagles struggles. This is the one that they've beaten. Yeah. 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 So Oh gosh. I mean, dude, stuck between a rock and a hard place here. I'll I'm going to go Miami. Change my pick. I wrote down Dallas. Give me Miami, though. Yeah, I was originally going to go Dallas, too, but I kind of want to switch to Miami. Dude, why are you copying me? Well, what does Dallas struggle with the most? Well, you just keep copying. It's stopping the run. Well, you're just copying me, though. I am copying you. Give me Miami. Uh, Baltimore is at San Francisco. The Niners are giving up five. Yeah, uh, I was listening to a discussion about this game earlier in the week, and a serious question. Does this game decide the MVP? Like, if Lamar Could. goes out and balls out and the, and, and the Ravens win, you would think that puts him in as the favorite. The two favorites right now, betting-wise, are Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So and this, Christian this McCaffrey's, could, like, fourth. So this could wrap up the MVP race, depending on what happens Good. in this game, I think. Uh, I, I'm going to go San Francisco. They've been the better. They've been the best team in the NFL, I think, to, up to this point. I think Baltimore could keep it close-ish, but I think the Niners will pull away late. Niners. I think five's too much. I think Baltimore does keep it close. I think this is like a field goal game. Give me the Ravens plus five. Your lock of the week. We are both only six and eight on uh, NFL locks of the week. I think you're going to hate this. I am going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Plus I actually three thought about picking that one. Against the Cincinnati this is Bengals. the ultimate Mike Tomlin back yes, against the they wall. They get blasted by the Colts. Woe is the Steelers. They stink. Bengals are good now. Kenny Pickett might be coming back, maybe. But, yeah, no. This is The Steelers, they're going to win. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. They're just simply going to win. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that one for you. I'm going to go Arizona plus four against Chicago. I know Chicago's defense has been a lot better here since they got Montez swept. But 
I wouldn't be picking them minus four against anyone. And I think with with Arizona, you look at the record, you see they have three wins, and you're like, oh, they're horrible. Since they've gotten Kyler Murray back, they've been more of like a, a you know average, below average type team. So I think they keep it close, if not win the game in Chicago, Arizona plus four. All right, that's our game picks. Two hours down, half an hour to go. Let's get to our KU game picks. Rock Truck, Pick a Hawk, more KU basketball, KJ Adams audio coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll uh, get some KJ Adams audio coming up here on the show. We are out early today at 5.30. Crimson and Blue show will start then for Kansas Yale with David Lawrence and Sean Kellerman and then lead into tip-off at 7 o'clock with Brian Haney and Greg Gurley on the call right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 Kiss while streaming klwn.com and 1059kiss.com. Uh, before we get to a rock truck pick a hawk and, and KU basketball game picks, I did want to make mention uh, from earlier today the KU football depth chart, the quote-unquote updated one is out. I yeah. I don't know how updated it actually is because there's I, they don't really update it that much over the course of the season. Like, uh, for instance, we I don't know if we mentioned this earlier in the week, but uh, th- there's kind of uh, talk going around that Dominic Pooney might opt out of the bowl game and might not play. Yeah. Uh, he's listed as the starter at left tackle. I don't know that that means anything. I'm still kind of just assuming it's going to be Calvin Clements. Um, uh, but they're, they're like, it, it's funny because there was a mix of, <laughs> there was yeah. a mix of the opt-outs or transfer guys and not. Like, for instance, Keaton Kubeka is now the backup X receiver. Gage Keys no longer at the defensive tackle position, and, and you have, like, Keenan Caldwell and uh, Caleb Taylor on there. Yeah. But then again, the rumors of, you know, Pooney and Austin Booker not traveling with the team, uh, he, they're, they're both still on the depth chart. So I'm kind of under the assumption that this is kind of a mix of— it is interesting Hayden Hatcher is above Austin Booker now in the depth chart, even though it's an or. Uh, it's kind of a mix of telling you things and not telling you things. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think a little bit of gamesmanship by KU because yeah. UNLV had like not released the depth chart yet either. I don't even know if they have or not. Haven't paid attention, but yeah. So I don't know some some chicanery, some shenanigans, some uh, gamesmanship, whatever you want to say, kind of on that. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens once once the game starts. You know, it's it's clear that even if no matter what your opinion is, no matter what our opinions are about whether or not gamesmanship in 2023 does anything or affects anything, clearly. As demonstrated by Lance Leipold and his staff over the course of this season, really, with how they've handled certain things, it's obvious that they like to play it close to the vest for whatever for sure. reason. Right, so. uh, it is interesting at right tackle, because uh, we've talked about this before, sometimes there are oars and there's one here, but whoever is on top on the oar is always in front of them on the depth chart. And our Reed Adams is now on top at the right tackle with an oar of Bryce Cabledew. I think that's more reflective. I think Cabledew might be hurt coming into yeah. this thing. Yeah. Um, so that would mean Reed Adams, right tackle, Baines, right guard, Nowitzki center, Ford, left guard, and then uh, Clements or Pooney. I, I think Clements at uh, left tackle here. All right, so uh, KU takes on Yale tonight again in basketball. Rock, Chuck, pick a hawk. I'm 8-5. and five. You are 5-8. and eight. And our Six rules, and <laughs> uh, you get one point for every point you score. Two points for every rebound and assist. Three points for every block and steal. You lose one point for every minute that you play. Yeah. I have the first pick. Before okay. we do this, how though, how deep do you want to go? I was about to say, how many players? Because KU only has eight scholarship there's players. There's no today. Furphy. Right. So. so it's only eight deep. But if we things should... go well, could the walk-ons get in late? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the, we should the, four. the thing is, is like we can add play. we can add how many players we want for the sake of adding players. Because, like, 
in this format, if they don't play, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a wash anyway. Yeah. So, so we should pick eight players each. No, we should. No, I think we should pick less because it, it, it would be a wash because they, if they don't play. All right, we'll pick four players. So each. we'll just do four. Yeah, four each. Okay. So you're so are you, I have you the first pick. pick. Okay, your first. first pick. Um, see, this is tough. It's going to be a slower tempo game, I'd imagine. Yale plays a slower tempo. They've not done a good job of preventing opponents from taking shots at the rim. They do have a seven-footer, though, so that makes it harder on Hunter Dickinson, even though teams have gotten more shots at the rim. Uh, but I think because it's a slower tempo game, more in the half court, that means more dump-ins to Hunter Dickinson. So uh, I think he'll be very active in tonight's game. Give me Hunter Dickinson. Shockingly, Hunter Dickinson might be active. Yeah, I know, uh, right? Groundbreaking. It's Maybe groundbreaking even more than house. normal, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well... Since you're taking Hunter Dickinson, that leaves me with the next obvious choice, which is Jamar Vitale. No. Oh. <laughs> Hunter Dickinson. Uh, no, you Kevin said it. Nicola. You said it. Kevin you have Nicola. to take it. No, I, I think uh, Kevin's Kevin a good Nicola. pick, too. I thought about it because of we talked about this earlier. Yale's wings defensively aren't very good. Could be a big game for, for Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with my next pick, I will go with K.J. Adams. We've had this issue with Dewan Harris where, for the sake of the format of Pickhawk that we play, He's really not one of the best options because mm-hmm. of the fact that he's been playing 40 minutes, literally 40 minutes, the last two games. You would assume he's not going to play 40 tonight, so maybe that increases his ceiling a little bit in Pickahawk, but I'm still going to roll with uh, my dog, KJ Adams. So I'm worried about the Dewan Harris uh, minutes thing too, which is why I'm not going to take him here. I'm going to oh, take okay. Parker Brown as the backup center. You know, they have a seven-foot center, so who knows? Maybe this is You're a, just taking Parker Brown because you don't want me to get Well, that too. I mean, I've had him like every draft, so I can't let you have him now at this point. We're too far <laughs> into this thing. Uh, but, I mean, maybe the, their seven-foot center is able to get Hunter in foul trouble. You would hope not, and he's done a good job avoiding that over the course of his career. Yeah. Uh, maybe that means more minutes for Parker Brown, but at the very least, you know, with a, a tighter rotation – We've brought this up. We bring this up like once very briefly before every game. Could this be a game they play the two big lineup with Parker Brown next to Hunter Dickinson? I kind of I, I want to see it at this point. I, I do, mean, I want to see it. I mean, point, I understand how it, it doesn't make any sense because you have no depth after that, but I want to see it at this point. You only have eight scholarship players. They might have to. They might have yeah. to. You might run out of other options. You can play. Well, and then with. and then after that, why not roll out a lineup of like Dewan, El Marco, Timberlake, <laughs> McDowell, and then like I don't know, KJ Adams or Kevin McCullough at the, five. At the, the five. ultimate small lineup. Just keep throwing <laughs> different things at them so they don't know what to do. So I'm gonna go him here, and then I'm gonna go with Jamari McDowell. Mm. Uh, I think ah. there's an opportunity for both Jamari and Nick Timberlake to obviously play a little bit more in the absence of Johnny Furphy. For sure. Uh, maybe they get more comfortable out there. I think Jamari's actually, when he's been out there, done a pretty good job of like rebounding, so you get a few extra points there. So yeah. I'll go Jamari McDowell. Okay. Well, uh, I think I have to take DeWan Harris at this point. Like like I said, I do think this game, there's a chance for him to be a little better in Pickahawk because maybe he's going to play 35 minutes or 34 minutes instead of a full 40. And uh, this is this this screams the game to me where Dewan Harris is going to be looking to rack up as many assists as possible. So he's going to be looking to dish and get a bunch of assists. So which is not bad for Pickahawk at all. No, right? I mean if he gets a bunch of assists, that's good. So I'll go with Dewan here uh, just for the value pick of it, and then that kind of leaves me really pitch and hold here with with Nick Timberlake, and I think I'm going to take. I mean, you I mean, could take El Marco. Oh, I forgot about El Marco. No, yeah, screw Nick Timberlake. Give me El Marco. Jeez, I forgot. I forgot about it, Marco. Holy okay, crap. As, as you've wow. declared yourself the biggest Nick Timberlake fan, I am. No, I'm Nick Timberlake's number one fan. Yeah, you, you just said bigger... screw Nick Timberlake. <laughs> you Give me a Marco. You want me the bigger Nick Timberlake fan than me? See, but this... uh, yeah, I forgot about El Marco Jackson. Yeah, El Marco. I mean, he's had some games where he's sneaky, been kind of close to a double double with assists, sure, and in points. So uh, I'll roll with El Marco here. This is a tough spot to be in. Do I take Michael Jankovic? 
and hope that he gets in and maybe hits a three in the last minute or two of the game? Or do I take Nick Timberlake? And I have yeah. said, leading up to this, that I think this is a good opportunity for Nick Timberlake. More minutes uh, to be had in this game. Maybe that frees his mind a little more. Maybe that makes him feel like he has a little less pressure to make the first shot or two. And maybe that opens him up to hitting those shots. But the, the negative of when you have a guy who his main role out there is just to shoot the basketball, if he's playing more minutes, that means if he gets 15 minutes, even if he does hit three threes, which would be a great night for Nick Timberlake, what else is he doing? And with more minutes comes more negative points in Pickahawk. So I'm going to take Potentially. Michael Jankovic. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, but I, I do think Timberlake's going to actually have a good game. I'll say this. Wow. Nick Timberlake hits two or more threes. And yet that? you won't pick him in Pickahawk. No, That's because he could hit, again, he, That's could, embarrassing. he could hit three threes and yourself. still have negative in Pickahawk. No, you, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's embarrassing. Well, let's get to our KU I mean, basketball I'm, the, game I'm Nick Timberlake's number one biggest fan. You're his number one biggest hater. What, what are we doing here? What's going on? No, I'm just saying pick a hawk is different from what you are in real life. Yeah, that's that's what I would say if I hated Nick Timberlake too. Yeah, that's what I would say if I hated Nick Timberlake. Hey, you too. literally said screw Nick Timberlake as you picked on Marco Jackson. But he's my number think, one. I'm I'm his number one fan. So. I think that is way more egregious than anything <laughs> I did. Okay, uh, KU game picks. The official line is Kansas minus fifteen against Yale. Uh man, this is a real gray area. I mean, you look at what KU's done against the figure opponents in the Fieldhouse. They have not. Been very good. <laughs> not not been covered for Christmas. Looking ahead <laughs> a little bit. Yes, but I thought Bill uh, Bill Self mentioned this yesterday uh, during the media about how the fact that they've seen some other teams, you know, earlier in this week, some other teams that are near the top of the college basketball landscape lost uh, in in pretty big fashion in some cases, and I think that, that maybe might help KU stay more uh, locked in here. So KU minus fifteen. Okay. I'll take him. Take Kansas. Have you picked against Kansas in any of the spreads? Yes. Yeah, I picked. Uh, let's see. I didn't pick him against Missouri. I didn't pick him against Indiana. Uh, I I I you think did I pick him against Indiana. No, I. That's what I meant. I did. Oh, pick I meant I oh, didn't pick did the other pick team. Him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I picked. I picked Kansas against Indiana and Missouri. Mm-hmm. I don't think I picked him against Eastern Illinois. I think the only one that you did not. Pick I didn't Kansas pick him against. Cover was like you, Chaminade or something. No, I picked him to you beat. I picked him to cover against Chaminade. I didn't pick him against okay. UMKC. I think. Maybe. Okay, randomly, I'm gonna go Kansas minus fifteen too. Um, yes, it is a worry for me that it's your look ahead game before the break, and and very easily something like that could happen. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just maybe things fire on all cylinders tonight, playing at home. Uh, maybe it catches your eye with some of those things you were talking about. I mean, we we know if Kansas plays a good game they should be able to cover this so i'll just stick with that give me kansas minus 15 uh over under is 142 and a half yeah i'll take the over here uh listen it's right before the holidays life too short to bet the under give me over 142 i'm gonna go under wow because of the fact that yale plays at a slower tempo again they are 290th in the country in adjusted tempo 328th in average possession length they prevent you from getting easy transition buckets slower tempo Lower scoring game. It's like Kansas wins something like 75 to 55. Wow. That would give you the under. Yeah, it would. Wow. By a lot. Yeah, it would. And KU would cover. I'll say something like that. Wow. So I'll take the under. Uh, What is your favorite prop bet from the game? There's not a lot of point. I mean, the only point prop up there right now is Kevin McCullers, 17 and a half, but they have some of the other ones up. I mean, I've taken Kevin McCullers' point total in like the last it's four games. It's slowly been rising. It's gone from like fifteen and a half to sixteen. It's and a half. hit every game that I've taken. Well, still seventeen and a half. He's averaging 
but 18, 19 a yeah. game. So theoretically. I, I, I'm riding Kevin McCuller again. I and mean, it's plus money. It's why would plus I, 100 to be over on that. Yeah, why would I Why would I go against that? I've been on a hot streak with that. So. No, I, I think that's a good one, especially because, like we talked about earlier, Yale does not have great defensive wings. Um, I am going to go with Dewan Harris over five and a half assists. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. Uh, I think just in general, if you give me that line every game, I would take it every game. And it doesn't mean you're going to win every game, but I feel like you're going to win way more than you lose with that because typically he gets six, seven assists per game. So, And this uh, is the game yeah. where, like I said, I think Dewan's going to be looking to dish. Yeah, and also, again, if you're in the half court, who's going to have the ball the most? Dewan Harris. And he's going to be able to, you know, pick uh, his way through. Yeah. So uh, I'll go over five and a half assists there. All right, we're going to take a timeout. we got some KJ audio, uh, Adams audio coming up on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We are out early today for Crimson Blue Show coverage. KU and Yale going to start at 5.30 here coming up shortly right here on KLWN, your original home for the Hawks, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Tip-off for KU Yale at 7 o'clock. Again, you can also stream that here at klwn.com or at 105.9kiss.com. Uh, before we let you go for the day and therefore the extended weekend, because we're not going to be uh, having a show on Monday for Christmas, we will be back Tuesday. It'll be uh, me solo getting you ready for the guaranteed rate bowl between Kansas and UN. LV on Tuesday from 3 to 6, and that one will kick off at 8 o'clock with pregame at 6.30. We have some K.J. Adams audio to share with you, so here is uh, K.J. Adams who spoke with the media ahead of KU's game tonight against Yale. K.J., uh, Coach Self has talked a lot about making sure you don't go into Christmas with a bad taste in your mouth. From your perspective, what are the keys to ensuring that you don't go into Christmas like that? Yeah, of course, just don't fall asleep, take every team like like it's the best team we're going to play. Um, you see a lot of teams right now, um, a lot of high-ranked teams losing right now, so we just, we just got to make sure we just don't check out. KJ, what have you kind of seen from Yale on the, the tape that you guys looked at so far? Yeah, not not too much. We uh, we get our scouting report uh, today, so we'll look at that today. We've just been focused on getting better and um, running on transition like we know we can. KJ, the, and I'm, I'm saying this, fans say this, that you're the most – High twitch guy, fast twitch guy, in college basketball. Is there people that you kind of look at in the NBA that are explosive like you that, and you kind of look at, admire, maybe get some ideas from on your next dunk? Um, not not really too much. I kind of like to play my own game, but I I watch NBA almost every day. I watch everybody play. I kind of pick up little things from a bunch of a lot of players. So I just kind of um, kind of transfer them all together and try to make my own twist to it as I play. All right, to take us through uh, the whole process when you're going up seemingly forever, uh, <laughs> decision-making on what kind of dunk, the style that you're going to go with? <laughs> Not really. I'm, I'm pretty a, a basic dunker. I like to just go two-hand, make sure, make sure it's safe and goes in the hoop. Do you have any incoming newcomers that, that you see that might be able to be like – the next KJ after <laughs> a lot of a lot of the newcomers, a lot of freshmen are pretty are pretty good high flyers. So I think anyone will probably be the same as me dunking wise. How do you avoid a letdown after Indiana? Um, just stay focused. Um, a lot of people are kind of excited to see their families and uh, see everybody during Christmas break. So just making sure that we we leave home the right way, not having a bad taste in our mouth going into Christmas. Do you go home the next day, or do you get 
rushed to the airport after the game? Um, I think a lot of people had different flights, but I think most of everybody's leaving the next day. What do you think of Juan scoring a lot again the last game? Do you talk to him about his role on the team or just let him do his thing? Yeah, well, Juan's been here for a while, so there's not really that much of telling him what to do. But um, we definitely need him to score. He's one of the best three-point shooters on our team. So just getting him involved and when he's aggressive, it helps us a lot. And what about Jamari's play? Yeah, Jamari's just been incredible. He's he's a, a guy that's always been doing this. He's been doing this since the first day he got here. So I'm just really excited that he's getting to show it on a bigger stage other than practice. KJ, what, not necessarily talking about a piece, but but what's one thing that, that you guys could, I guess, embrace or, or add over the break that, that sends you into Big 12? You know, if you had that magic wand and you could say, hey, we'd add this to our team to make us even better, what what would you say? I would say probably two things, just spreading the floor out. It's hard kind of spreading the floor out when I'm on the floor because I'm not really that much of an outside threat. So just figuring out how to make sure we can kind of space the ball a little more and spread the defense out. And then as well, just really um, playing good defense when it gets to that 10-minute mark in the shot clock. And then, you know, we've seen it a lot last year, this year too, where Sometimes the offense will run through you. Uh, it happened at times against Indiana, and it was very successful. What, what, what's your mindset when that's happening? I mean, obviously, you can do a bunch of different things when it runs through you, but how do you embrace that? And what, what are your, I guess, top keys and triggers to kind of make that work and flow so well? Yeah, just trusting in myself to make good plays. Um, there's a lot of plays that are for me, so just having the trust of my teammates and my coaches for running some plays for me and just really executing when, they, when it comes down to it. Could you know that you're in a position of leadership on this team, could you offer us an assessment of, as you're approaching the end of sort of the first third, the first phase of the season, what this phase has done to set you guys up perhaps for, for the conference and beyond? Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's just about chipping away. We have long practices. This is probably like our only next five straight practices we're going to have before the conference starts. So just chipping away, getting better at practice. There's a lot to be worked on. So just having this final stretch and um, hopefully do good against Yale. That will really help us bump into conference play. Coach said the team had a party on Sunday night. Did you cook anything? <laughs> did any players cook anything? No, I didn't cook anything. Uh, Miss Self and all the other uh, coaches' wives really do a good job of um, preparing stuff for us, so they, they always get that covered. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Nick Timberlake, too. Uh, you know, all summer you guys talked about how – what a great shooter he is, and we've seen it in spurts. He's obviously in a little bit of a funk. What Everybody's been through that. What What are you guys talking to him about, and, and are you seeing him still knock down shots in practice? Yeah, of course. He had a really good practice yesterday, um, knocking down a lot, of, a lot of key open shots that he's usually made. So just getting there, getting more comfortable when he's playing, I think is going to help us. He's, he's going to have a, a, big, a big role in part of our year, so I think just getting him more comfortable is going to help us a lot. That was K.J. Adams speaking with the media ahead of tonight's game between Kansas and Yale right here on KLWN. Pre-game starts shortly at 5.30 on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. Tip-off will be at 7 o'clock. That's going to do it for us today on the show. Don't forget you can check out anything you missed, whether it was 
today's show, whether it was you know earlier this week with the Best of RCST podcast, anywhere that you get your podcasts, brought to you by Massage Envy, including now you can find the Best of Rock Chalk Sports Talk podcast on KUSports.com. We will be back for you on Tuesday. No show on Monday for Christmas. Uh, I'll be with you solo on Tuesday to help you get you covered. Uh, we'll recap this game, but also we'll look ahead to the KU Bowl game against UNLV and the Guaranteed Rate Bowl on Tuesday night, which you'll be able to hear that action uh, pregame on Tuesday at 6.30, kickoff at 8 o'clock for the Jayhawks and the Rebels. But KU basketball coming at you next between KU and Yale on the other side. For Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. That'll do it for us today and this week on RCST. Have a great rest of your weekend. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Stay safe, safe travels, and uh, enjoy. Talk to you next time.